Father, we pray that your truth will indeed speak to us. Give us ears to hear. In the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. God has given us numerous ways in which to offer our praise to Him. We praise God with our actions, the things that we do. We praise God with art, things that we create. We praise God with music, one of the great joys of dedicating this organ today, this beautiful instrument to God's glory. And our prayer is that it will indeed help us declare God, our praise. And we also express our praise to God through through words. Words are important to God. They always have been. Genesis tells us that, that God speaks the world into existence. The writer declares again and again, and God said, and there was. And God said, and there was. And God said, and there was. And then when we come to the, the book of Revelation at the end of the scriptures, the angel says to John, these words of God are trustworthy and true. You have words at the beginning, you have words at the end as God speaks. And God's words are trustworthy and true. Scripture tells us that again and again. And because God is concerned about his words, he's also concerned about what we do with his words. Deuteronomy 11 challenges us. Fix these words of mine, God says, in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Later in Deuteronomy, he says, these are not just idle words for you. These words are are your life. These words are your life. They're that important. But we're not only concerned with God's words. Scripture tells us that we need to be concerned with our words, too. What we say reveals a lot about um, who we are. What we say can, can make or break a situation. What we say can change our lives and the lives of other people. In many ways, words are, are the very fabric of, of our lives on this earth. Words bind us together. Words bring significance to events in life. Words stir emotions and, and they solidify memories. You think for a moment about, about the famous words that when you hear them, bring to your mind's eye images and, and ideas. You don't have to explain the situation at all. You just hear the words and you feel it and you sense it and you live it once again. Great battles seem to bring out memorable words. John Paul Jones, I have not yet begun to fight. Winston Churchill, never, never, never give up. Franklin Roosevelt, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date that will live in infamy. General Douglas MacArthur, as he stepped onto a boat off the shores of the Philippines and turned back and said, I shall return. And significant events bring out memorable words. 
And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Houston, we have a problem. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. And you can even find memorable words in the, in the world of sports. That, that day when Lou Gehrig stood before the, the cheering crowd in Yankee Stadium and said, today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. If you think back almost 30 years now, hear Al Michaels declare as the puck was making its way down the ice for the last time, do you believe in miracles? And Yorgi Bear is always good for a memorable line. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Words are important to us. Because they're important to us, we live, I think, with a certain fascination with words. And, and maybe nothing is as symbolic of our fascination with words as some of the games that we play. There are a lot of, there are a lot of word games. Not on my That would help, wouldn't it? Okay, is that better? Yeah. We have a lot of, of word games. Categories, popular word game. Boggle is a popular word game where you make words out of the letters in the little square. When I was young, one of the famous television game shows was Password. And uh, we've played this a lot as a family. Balderdash is another word game. This is, in my mind, just a sophisticated version of what we used to call the dictionary game. You try to trick people with definitions of words. But, but I am certain that there is no word game more popular and, and more played than Scrabble. Scrabble was invented in 1938 by an architect by the name of Alfred Butts. It was a variation on an earlier game he had created that he called Lexico. And the original name for the game that he invented was Chris Crosswords. And uh, he, he manufactured a few of these games with the 15 by 15 board and the crossword idea, but people weren't that interested. And he couldn't convince a manufacturer to, to develop it. Ten years later... A man from Connecticut, who was one of the few people that owned one of the crisscross games, crossword games, came, said that um, he wanted to buy the rights to it, and then he would give to the inventor some of the royalties. But it didn't sell much for him either, until 1952. And the game legend has it that uh, Jack Strauss, who was that time president of Macy's Department Store, went on vacation, and while he was on vacation, someone had a Scrabble game, and he played it, and he thought it was great. And when he got back from vacation, he went into the store and was appalled that Macy's didn't sell it. Well, when you're the president of Macy's, you can do something about that. And so they started selling it. And within a year, everyone had to have one. And it's so popular now that uh, the game is sold in 121 countries and has been made in 29 different language versions. Over 100 million sets of the game Scrabble have been sold, and one out of every three American homes owns this game. How many of you have a game Scrabble at your house? Yeah, I think we beat the odds of one in three. (laughs) 
Now, the object of the game, as I'm sure you're aware, is to score the most points. But you do that by creating words and by strategically placing those words as much as possible on those premium squares. Double letter score, double word score, triple letter score, the big one, triple word score. Now, the, there are 100 letter tiles in the American game, and they're distributed. The tiles were done with, with very meticulous calculations. The inventor spent uh, months and months poring over the New York Times and other public, popular publications and, and chronicled the usage of letters until he realized a pattern and devised the system of how they were going to be scored. That's been published in a lot of forms. You have very simple, kind of just regular box form and these more sophisticated kinds that actually are on turners. They spin them around so it's facing you when you're playing. And there's a travel edition where the little pieces clip in so you don't lose them all over the car. But it's all the same game. Same board, same tiles, same rules. It's still Scrabble. Now, there are lots of connections between the words that we speak and the game of Scrabble that we play. The words that we speak are often in response to situations that come to us. And in Scrabble, you make words in response to the letters that are given to you. Maybe you write in a bag, you pull out a random fistful of letters, and, and the, the professional-type Scrabble players say, you, you don't complain about the letters you get, you just do the best you can with them. I still complain when I don't like the letters I get. And you can play what's on your rack. And the words we speak are often in response to what other people say to us. We react to what people say. We do it all the time. And of course, in Scrabble, every word you play is in some way connected to a word someone else has played. And words, perhaps as much as anything else, tie us together. And we see in that image our connectedness as human beings. And we can't get away from that truth. And we shouldn't get away from that truth. How we talk to each other, how we communicate with each other, the words that we use with each other are important. Words are either the glue that binds us together or they're the crowbar that rips us apart. And we have a wonderful example right here this morning as we've been talking about the organ. For for a long time, when the idea first came up about investing the money to, to build this organ, there were people who were opposed to that and for a variety of reasons. And we had a lot of meetings, and I suspect there were a lot more meetings and conversations that took place outside of the organized, structured meetings here in the church. And we discussed, and we disagreed, and we debated, and we spoke a lot of words until eventually the congregation decided we want to move forward with this. And in that moment of decision, our words were so important. Because our words could have torn us apart. Our words could have shred the fabric of the unity of the body of Christ. Words could have been used as weapons against one another because we disagreed with each other. But my observation is that we worked hard to use our words to heal and to support and to understand. And it was glorious. And consciously or subconsciously, we realize that our words are more than just us. We're connected to a body of believers. Our words remind us that the kingdom of God is not just about me. It's about us. And that's why watching our words is so important. Scripture is continually reminding us that our words are important because they affect one another. Because they can either hurt or heal. Speaking of the tongue, James writes, Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. Sometimes it breaks out into curses against those who have been made in the image of God. 
And Paul tells the Ephesians, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Proverbs says, the words of the wicked kill, the speech of the upright saves. And rash language cuts and maims, but but there's healing in the words of the wise. A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a fire. Kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. But we don't really need the scriptures to prove to us what words can do to us. We've all been on both sides of words. We've all felt the value and the grace of words and the hurt and the pain of words. And words can hurt. Calvin Hobbes' cartoon strip. Calvin has just gotten into another argument with his little friend Susie. And in the heat of the moment, he calls her a nasty name. And here she is in this cartoon walking away. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Yeah, right. You know, we're all taught that little ditty growing up. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And it's a lie. It's a lie. We just moved up to the, into the run-up of the election, and wow, words are flying all over the place. Something about, something about lipstick on a pig I've heard a few times. And both, people, both sides of that are taking offense at it. Sometimes I think what it must be like for the families of the candidates to hear people say the kinds of things that they're saying about the person they love. And we've also spoken words on both sides. We've spoken words that uplift, and we've spoken words that hurt and slash. We've used our words to encourage and to discourage, to help and to hurt, to heal and to inflict pain. And Scripture reminds us that we need to continually do better with our words. More encouraging and less critical. More loving and less cynical and sarcastic. Words like so much of life are often the result, in fact, almost always the result, of practice and influence. If around people who use words for good, we have a tendency to begin to use words for good. And if we're around people who are using words to hurt and to maim and for evil, there's a good chance we're going to fall into that same trap too. In Scrabble, like many games, you get better by playing it. The more you play, the more you expand your vocabulary, the more you know how to see openings in order to use your words most effectively. And the more we speak good words, the more comfortable and natural and instinctive good words become. And, of course, the same thing is true with evil words. Now, of course, there are people who say, what's a big deal? It's just words. I didn't mean anything by it. It's just words. Why are you getting so upset? They're just words. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm sort of that way with Scrabble. Scrabble is not my all-time favorite game. I know some of you are trying to decide right now, should I just get up and walk out right in this moment or wait till after church to tell me what you're thinking right now in this moment? You know, in preparation for this sermon, I asked some people why they love Scrabble. What's your favorite part about Scrabble? And, and one person said, my favorite thing about Scrabble is scoring points on small words. 
Notice that my favorite thing about Scrabble is that dad never asked me to play anymore. Obviously, the child of an avid Scrabble player. Notice that my favorite thing about Scrabble is using the homemade bag that my grandmother made. And also the house rules that we have, that you can use the dictionary anytime you want to to look up any word you want to. And if you have three tiles of the same letter, you can change one of them. Now, I know some of you are going, oh my goodness, kill me now. It's sacrilegious. It's crazy. Someone else said, my favorite thing about Scrabble is making up words and then defending their validity to the death. I'll, try to, I'll tell you people you don't want to play Scrabble with. But there were a couple of answers that really intrigued me, particularly. One said that my favorite thing about Scrabble is that all the options you have and how you can score with lots of points with small words or large words. And then ended it by saying, this is the best game there is. And somebody else answered, what's not to like about Scrabble? I'm, it's pretty much the best game ever invented. And in, in the light of Scrabble and in thinking about our words... It's not just words. They're important. Years ago, I heard Dennis Kendall talk about the aliveness of words. And he said it dawned on him one day that the greatest change in his life, outside of when he, when he opened his heart to Christ, the, the, the greatest day in his life took place because of just two puffs of air. And he said you can symbolize them by three words. And we've long since lost our marriage license. Five children, five in-laws, seven grandchildren, two more on the way. And you know what started it all? Two puffs of air. He said, that's what binds us together today. She looks at me and says, you said it. I look at her and say, you said it. It's two puffs of air. Words. It's never just words. Words are essential. And once you speak them, they are alive. Even though sometimes we wish they weren't. There's a very intriguing rule in Scrabble that if you have a rack full of letters that you don't think you can do anything with, instead of laying down a word on your turn, you can take all seven letters off your rack and choose seven more. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do that with the words we speak? Wouldn't it be great... If we could just take those right back, put them right back in our mouths, and no one would ever know we said it. But we can't. Words have life. But here's the, I think, the most intriguing thing about our words. Our struggle with words really isn't about our words. It's about our heart. Our words are less about what we say than they are about the condition of our heart that causes us to say them. Jesus says to his disciples and to the people around him, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Another translation has, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Our words are directly connected to our heart. And if we want our words to get better, our heart has to get better first. We might feel bad when we say something that hurts our spouse or a child or a parent or a sibling or a coworker or an employee at a store where we're shopping. And we we may feel bad that we hurt them, but I don't think we take that as seriously as Jesus does. 
And we, we have a tendency to categorize sins. And I suspect that speaking hurtful words to another person isn't always at the top of our sin list in terms of bad things. We probably rate it down a ways. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus says, those words that you speak are so important because they are reflecting what you believe and what you are living in your heart. It's a direct connection. And Jesus is telling us that that the spiritual condition of our heart can be seen through the words that we speak. He says, if you can't control your tongue, the problem really isn't your tongue, it's your heart. Crass, bitter, sinful words don't just appear out of nowhere. And encouraging, uplifting, peaceful words don't either. You know, Scrabble is about reacting to the words that other people have played. You can have all your letters ready to play the word you want to play, and then somebody else plays something and you've got to change on the fly. And what we do when we react to people's words says a lot about who we are. We are continually having to react to the things that people say to us and do to us. And in fact, I suspect that it's probably in those unplanned moments, in those moments of reaction, that our heart is most visibly revealed. We can all say the right thing when we plan ahead and we know exactly what we're going to say. It's in those unexpected moments that what's in us comes out of us. I don't know about you, but I can relate to, to Nancy Ortberg, who tells of one day being out near just a few days before Christmas and needing to pick up some things, and she ran to the mall, lived in Southern California, and she said it was just crazy. You couldn't find a parking place anywhere. And she drove around until finally she saw an older couple making their way to their car. And she thought, I'll follow them to their car. And she did. And when they pull out, I'll pull in. And so she sat there waiting for them with her blinker on. And she watched as they put their things in the trunk. And he went over and opened the door for his wife. And she's thinking, this is no time for chivalry. I got to go. Come on, let's go. Get out of the place. And they pulled out slowly. And she was just ready to turn in when from the other direction, an old beat-up van came flying down the aisle and cut in front of her and pulled into the spot. She said, I got out of my car, and I, I walked over there, and I had a, a little chat with that driver. He said, had my mother had been there, she probably would have washed my mouth out with soap. He said, I chatted so long and so hard and with such interesting words that the guy actually backed his van out of the spot and let me pull in. That must have been some conversation. And she said, I'm thinking to myself, I am so good. I stood up for my rights. I'm feisty. This is great. I got what I wanted. And then almost instantaneously, she sensed the Holy Spirit saying to her, Nancy, you do realize what you just said says about what's in your heart, don't you? And she said, I had to say you're right. You're right. The real problem wasn't the words. It was her heart. That was driving those words. I've learned that the most productive means of, of combating my, uh, my impatience with my tongue is, is not to ask God to clamp down my tongue, but to ask God to change my heart. 
Our words are just simply bubbling up from what's cooking inside of us. Our words are the symptom, not the disease. The disease is in our hearts. And we need to stay connected spiritually to change our hearts. And that's why those, those idle, unplanned, spontaneous words are so revealing. Now, it seems to me that the best Scrabble players are the ones who, who are able to create the most creative words and just play them, play them at just the right time. And I think they can do that because they are players who have prepared their minds long before they ever get into a game. There are people who immerse themselves in words so that when they're staring at a rack of difficult letters, they can come up with something. Now, for instance, here is a, here is a random picture from a game that, that our family played this week. Actually, that's not. That's actually the board from the final game of the 2005 World Scrabble Championship. I don't even know what some of those words are. I've never even seen some of those words. I mean, I, all I could come up with on these boards was Houghton Wesleyan Church and Indiana Hoosiers. That was the best I could. And I had all the tiles laying out there in front of me to pick from. You know, but those championship players, they're able to use those words and think of those words because they've immersed themselves in words, in learning words and expanding their vocabulary so that they have this repository to draw from when they play. And they're able to make good words because they're primed and ready to make good words. And we will speak good words when we are primed and ready to the grace of God to speak good words. It's not a coincidence then. When John begins his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was God and the word was with God. And in the word is life. Peter says to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. You're it. And John is simply reminding us that our words will be good and right only when they are connected to him who is the word. And so the message translates verse 12. It's your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. I wonder the psalmist prays, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Gracious Father, may the psalmist's prayer be ours. And the words of our mouths that come from the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. We might speak words of grace and of healing and of love. Through Jesus Christ, whose name we pray.